0: Special offer to Scaboom listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com slash SkaBoom. That's BetterHelp.com slash SkaBoom. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. That's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band opening their first ever concert in South Africa by performing the two-tone classic Free Nelson Mandela. During their worldwide tour that year, Springsteen opened most shows with a cover song linked to the city or place he was performing. The show in Cape Town in January 2014 was just six weeks after Mandela, the former political prisoner turned president of the country, had passed away at age 95. The song was originally released as a single in March of 1984 by The Special AKA from their In the Studio album to protest the imprisonment of Mandela by the apartheid regime in South Africa. The song soon became the unofficial anthem for the international anti apartheid movement that put pressure on the then white minority regime in South Africa. It took 27 years, but Mandela was finally freed in 1990 and then elected president in 1994. The fact that Springsteen selected to open the show with Free Nelson Mandela, a song that was banned in South Africa when it was first released, was a strong political statement and also incredibly poignant. Springsteen had spoken movingly about his admiration for South Africa's first democratically elected president, saying how honored he felt just to have been alive on this earth at the same time. Springsteen never met Mandela, but in an interview, he told Sky News how inspired he was. By his ability to forgive those who had jailed him for 27 years. Springsteen said, You just don't often get people like that. Imagine he'd been in prison for 27 years and then came out and was president. Springsteen was one of the musicians who fought against South Africa's apartheid laws, participating in the recording of the song Sun City in 1985 to highlight the injustice of the whites only resort. Springsteen's earlier political advocacy. And his performance of the song 30 years after its release reminded people of just how influential it and Two-Tone had been in educating people about the plight of Mandela and the fight against apartheid. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the first episode of Two-Tone Legacy, a special audio documentary series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on the stories behind the songs that contribute to the enduring legacy of two-tone music and its ongoing impact on popular culture. South Africa's system of apartheid became law in 1948. Similar to the Jim Crow laws in the United States, the system of apartheid was a form of legalized racial segregation. In the 80s, students at American universities were especially outraged with apartheid, and students at Rutgers University, where I went to school, were very active in protesting apartheid and pushing for the university to divest from South Africa. During a month-long sit-in at the Rutgers University Student Center in 1985, Free Nelson Mandela was played often, and the song was a huge part of my growing political consciousness. And though the In the Studio album the song was taken from was as far removed as possible from the sound of the first two specials albums, I love the In the Studio album for the way it confronted a whole host of social ills. That said, Free Nelson Mandela, the first song on side two of the record, is a complete outlier. Unlike most protest songs, the track is upbeat and celebratory drawing on a variety of musical influences, including two-tone ska and African pop. Free Nelson Mandela is also a powerful reminder of the role music can play to right moral wrongs, and in this unique case, change the course of world politics for the better. And it also highlights the world-changing role that two-tone music and its political philosophy has played over the last 40 years. The origins of the song, written by Jerry Dammers, are fascinating and quite dramatic not only because of the impact of the song, but also the strange and surreal circumstances under which it was recorded. The the in-the-studio album took two years and cost half a million pounds to produce, making it one of the most expensive albums ever made. The implosion of the specials, following the release of their chart-topping hit Ghost Town, put Dammers in a tough spot. With Terry Hall, Linval Golding, and Neville Staple quitting to form the Fun Boy 3, he decided to forge ahead with bassist Horace Panter, drummer John Bradbury, and a group of new musicians, including Rhoda Dakar of the Body Snatchers. After attending a concert in London organized by an anti-apartheid organization, To celebrate Mandela's 65th birthday in 1983, Dammers was inspired to write a song that would highlight Mandela's predicament. Dammers shared during an interview with The Guardian in 2013 that he knew nothing about Mandela before attending the concert, saying, When I was a school kid in Coventry, I used to put up anti-apartheid stickers, and when I was 14, I demonstrated against the Springboks Rugby Tour, South Africa's whites-only team. But funnily enough, I hadn't actually heard of Mandela until I went to a concert at Alexandra Palace to celebrate his 65th birthday. Dammer shared the origin story of the song with Unkempt Magazine in 2010. I wrote the music to Nelson Mandela before the lyrics. I picked up a lot of leaflets at the concert and started learning about Mandela. At that point, he'd been imprisoned for 21 years, and the leaflets said the shoes he had in jail were too small for his feet, so I put that in the lyrics. I was inspired by the spirit and positivity of that African music, and I was trying to get in a few Latin rhythms, but also township jazz. It was a very simple melody, three notes, C, A, and E. That meant the public could sing it. As Dammers was in the process of finishing the song, he was losing the support of most of the members of the special, AKA to an insurrection against his control freak meets perfectionist work style in the studio. The band was often in the studio for hours, playing and recording and re-recording parts over and over until Dammers deemed them perfect. Realizing this, Dammers tapped Elvis Costello to produce the track. According to Paul Williams' book, You're Wondering Now, the specials from Conception to Reunion, Costello was quoted as saying of the situation, the special AKA was taking so long in the studio that I got called in to produce. It was important that Jerry got the track out so that people could think about the issue. He had a definitive idea of the music in his head, but it was somewhat elusive, which is why I think it took him so long to record everything. He was also trying to capture the feelings he wanted, which he'd heard on other records. Despite issues and personality conflicts in the studio, Costello was able to rally the band to record the song in four days, which is a remarkable feat considering how long the rest of the album was taking. In addition to Campbell on lead vocals, it includes Costello, Dakar, Golding, Dave Wakeling and ranking Roger then of general public and the aphrodisiacs on backing vocals with former specials legend Dick Cuffle on trumpet. As for the song's arrangement, Dammers told The Guardian, Brad played a disco, afro-type beat, and Elvis put an echo on it right in the middle of the song for that boom, boom, boom bit. I wrote the brass. Ghost Town was a melancholy song with a happy middle eight. Nelson Mandela, as the song was originally called, was the other way around. Two mournful brass moments contrast with the up-tempo celebratory melody. Paul Williams shared his memories of the song.
1: I didn't really know who Nelson Mandela was. I was politically active, but uh, in in other things. But um, so to be, you know, now I look back, and I'm, I'm quite ashamed. I didn't know who he was. But when I heard the singles coming out, this is what I did. This is what we did because they, you know, you, you hear the, the the name Nelson Mandela, and you think, well, you know, I'll go look Nelson Mandela. Up. We didn't have the internet. Don't forget, we didn't have the internet. But I managed to find out by going to the library. Was funny enough. Um, just to check it out and see what was and that's how I found about the actual person himself, Nelson Mandela. Now I know we talk about Ghost Town as being uh, the special's biggest thing and yes it was probably uh, and uh, a great moment for dams and stuff but I think this is his own personal biggest, his biggest impact I think. Um, and we, both, you know, we know that Nelson Mandela divided people across different opinions. But you know, uh, even the British government classed him as a terrorist. The Tory government classed him as a terrorist. Um, but you know, um, you know, as upbeat as music can be, you know, I think really good music can make you squirm a little bit and, and, and make you feel a little bit uneasy. And that's what I like about it. Um, but you know. Um, And for me as a fan as well of the band and stuff, you know, with Dave Wake and Rankin Roger, Limbaugh, Gold and all these people on it, you know, um, you know, it's a bit more it felt like a bit more big two-tone gathering more than anything else or two-tone related.
0: If Ghost Town had been Dammer's greatest commercial success, Free Nelson Mandela would soon be his greatest artistic achievement. Although the track did not secure Mandela's immediate release, the song ignited the global fuse, which eventually led to events which finally saw him released from captivity. According to Williams, the momentum that followed the release of the song was immense. Dammers did tons of media interviews to talk about Mandela's situation and the anti-apartheid movement. The release of the record caused a panic in South Africa, and the Chrysalis Records office in the country contacted the label headquarters in London to tell them not to ship any copies as they would be liable to be prosecuted. On hearing the song, The government of then-President P.W. Botha immediately banned it, but that didn't stop it from being taken up as a chant by protesters in the streets of the Black townships. Dammers later organized a Nelson Mandela 70th birthday tribute concert at Wembley Stadium in June 1988. Artists included Sting, Tracy Chapman, Hugh Masekela, Peter Gabriel, Whitney Houston, Miriam Makeba, Stevie Wonder, Simple Minds, and Dire Straits. The concert was broadcast to over 60 countries and made Mandela a household name in Britain and all over the world. After the concert, 77% of people in Britain knew who Mandela was and 70% of them thought he should be released. The concert exerted additional pressure on the South African government, culminating in the release of Mandela in February 1990. A second concert to celebrate his release was held in 1990. Despite achieving its stated goal, the experience of creating the song and the In the Studio album took a toll on a number of the musicians involved in making it. Vocalist Stan Campbell quit the band right after the recording of the song and had to be persuaded to rejoin briefly for the video and two TV appearances. Following those appearances, Campbell left the band for good. Takar told me in an interview I did for my blog In the Studio is not something I want to even think about, to be honest. I've never played it all the way through, not even one side. If it was confined to the backwaters of history, that would suit me fine. My perspective, spend your money on something else. I don't earn a penny from sales anyway. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Legacy of Two-Tone. I want to thank my co-producer and engineer, Rob George, for making me sound good. My book, Skaboom, is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and take care.